You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. On August 28, 2000, Danny Stewart and Pete Mercurio had plans to meet for dinner after work. Danny was a 34-year-old social worker. Pete was a 32-year-old graphic designer. They'd been together for a few years and lived in Chelsea in New York City. Danny was running late for dinner and hoped to catch an express train. I was concerned that I was going to be late, and I also was being very mindful, like when Pete gets um, hungry, <laughs> he, he gets hangry, and he... Uh, so I, <laughs> I was trying to be mindful so I wouldn't make him uh, angry. I wasn't able to time it to catch an express train, so I stayed on the local the whole ride down. I get out of the train and I get um, ready to leave and exit. I'm going through the turnstile and I notice to my left against the wall on the ground a bundle, um, which to me looked like a baby doll. What I saw was Two little legs sticking out of this dark shirt that the doll was wrapped up in. And I just thought to myself, well, this is interesting. Why would a little girl leave her doll on the ground? And I thought it was like, you know, one of those realistic dolls that looked lifelike. But um, I didn't think anything more of it. So I continued to exit. I'm going up the stairs of the station to go outside, and I glance back one more time, and that's when I notice the doll's legs move. And I realize, well, this is not a doll, and I rush down the stairs. I loosened the dark sweatshirt that the baby was wrapped up in. He was wrapped up in um, his head, his upper body was completely covered, so just his two legs were sticking out, so I loosened all that up, I made sure that he seemed to be breathing all right and that he seemed to be okay. And as much as I could tell, he seemed to be um, seemed to be okay. He was breathing. I could also notice he didn't have any clothes on and that there was the umbilical cord still partially intact. So I knew from that that he was a newborn. You know, in my head, I'm thinking he's probably a a day or two old, I mean, I couldn't really tell. But um, I then, you know, just was 
nervous that like what's going on here it's like I'm wondering is the mother around is she watching and I was trying to alert other passengers going through the station you know by this time it was eight o'clock or thereabouts and there weren't a lot of people actually walking through the station so at this time I'm thinking I've got to I've got to call the police this was before um, we had cell phones and I knew that there was a payphone up on the street just right above the station. So I ran up the stairs, I called 911 and told them I found the baby. I gave them the location, the exact entrance to the station, and um, I ran back down to the baby and waited. I stroked his head and um, you know, I told him, I was like, everything's gonna be okay. He gave out a little whimper and I thought, this is taking forever. I, to me, time was standing still. And it seemed like um, hours were going by. And I'm sure it was just a, a matter of minutes. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh, they, the police probably don't believe me. They probably think that this is a prank call. So I need somebody else to call. So then I thought of Pete. It's like, I have a quarter in my pocket. I'm going to go back up to that phone. I went back up. I called and I blurted out, I found a baby. And uh, I could just tell right away, Danny doesn't joke around, he's not a prankster, he he wouldn't say something like that if it wasn't true. And also the panic in his voice was so um, real that I was like, oh, I instantly knew that he was, something was going on. You know, and it took me a second to process it he actually said, I found a baby. I think I asked him to repeat it again. Like, what did you just say? He said, you know, like he just said, he said, call 911. And I said, no, 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 no. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm going to come down there. I will flag somebody down on the street. There's always a cop car around somewhere. Um, I'll just find somebody. I'm coming down there now. And he hung up on me. And uh, I think that was because the police were arriving while he was on the phone with me. Because by the time I did get down there, it was only a block away. Um, the police were there. I saw flashing lights all the way down 15th Street, so I knew that the police were there. And when I got there, Danny was standing at the top of the subway steps, and I just said, where's the baby? And just then, he turned and faced the steps, and, you know, I followed his his gaze down the steps, and just at that moment, two police officers were, um, one of them was carrying a baby in his arms up the stairs. And it was just so surreal, and I, I, I think... You know, Danny was in shock when he found the baby, and then I was in shock when I sort of saw the baby for the first time. And it was sort of this electricity in the air about that, like this disbelief that, whoa, Danny, Danny really did just find a baby, and and, and here he is right in front of us in this, in this policeman's arms. And you know, of course, there was all this hubbub going around, and. The baby just let out a yawn, as if you know, as if uh, um, nothing, nothing was going on for him. He just, sort of the baby didn't have a care in the world, just yawning, ready to probably go down for a nap. But here's this baby, just sort of like, ah. The baby was driven to the hospital to be checked out. Detectives questioned Danny for almost two hours, asking him over and over to tell them the exact circumstances which had led to him finding this baby. And then the detective said they had what they needed and left. Pete and Danny went to find something to eat. Here's Pete. Our conversation at the restaurant 
basically was can, can just still can you believe what happened can you believe what happened and um i had said to danny at one point i said you know you're going to be connected to this baby in some way for the rest of your life i'm phoebe judge and this is love The next morning, they woke up to the newspaper headline, Strap Hanger Saves Infant. When the baby got to the hospital, the staff needed to assign him a name, even temporarily, to fill out paperwork. But instead of just calling the infant Baby Doe, they chose to call him Danny Ace Doe. Danny after Danny, who'd found him, an ace as an ACE, the subway line where he'd been found. A few days later, Danny called the pediatric social worker at the hospital to try to press for more information. But the social worker would only tell Danny that the baby was doing fine. And how long, I mean, in in that time where you had been told, I can't release any information, the baby's healthy, would you think about the baby, where the baby was that night? Was it something that stayed with you both that would come up? Yeah. Of course, I mean, this became big news. It was on for at least 24 hours, maybe, I think it maybe even two days. It was the lead story on all of the New York City uh, local news stations. Police talked with the media just a short time ago about this case. Cheryl Fiendaka now live at the 10th Precinct in Chelsea with the late details. Cheryl. Rob, police are describing the boy as cute and healthy and just three hours old when he was abandoned at the 15th Street subway station last night. Annie Stewart was the good Samaritan that found the seven-pound baby boy. The doctors say was just about three hours old. I I didn't think that it was a a, a real baby. I was coming through the turnstile um, and I was glancing and I kept watching as I was walking up the stairs and all of a sudden he started to move. His legs started to wiggle and so I realized, oh my gosh, this is a real baby. Well, the baby is doing well and is at St. Vincent's Hospital. He is described as white or Hispanic. The baby is in good condition at St. Vincent's Hospital. The police um, also were doing updates with the investigation in trying to find anyone that knew the whereabouts, uh, any, any, uh, any parent, any, the mother trying to find, so they were doing press conferences. So we were hearing about it, and because it, it was a big news story, everyone was asking me. So we would retell the story, um, and that would happen uh, probably hundreds of times over the next couple of months, I'm guessing. And we would think, you know, oh, I, it seems like that he was placed in with a family, so we hope that he'll be okay. And that mm-hmm. was probably the extent of our, our thinking about his whereabouts, that, he, that things were happening as they should happen. Three months passed. And then, one day, Danny got a call from an attorney with the city's Administration for Children's Services. The attorney told Danny that no parent had come forward and there was an upcoming hearing to formally terminate parental rights. The attorney said it was a formality so that the baby could become eligible for adoption. She asked if Danny would testify and tell the story of how he'd found the baby. They felt like that would really help in the hearing and moving things along. So I said, sure, and I showed up um, a few days later, went to family court, I share my story, the circumstances, just like I did now, of 
me finding the baby and what happened. And, um, you know, I was thinking that it was over and the judge asked if I wouldn't mind staying for the remainder of the hearing. Uh, the police officers who showed up that night with the call and, and took the baby to the hospital gave their testimony of what happened when they showed up and they shared that and about two or three minutes later, it's done, the hearing's done and she, the judge addresses me directly and she says, Mr. Stewart, I just wanna let you know what's happening. In situations where we have a baby that's been abandoned, we wanna place that baby in pre-adoptive foster care as quickly as possible. And the next thing out of her mouth is, would you be interested in adopting this baby? Well, all eyes are, are immediately on me in the courtroom. Um, mouths drop, I think, because this was totally unexpected. I certainly wasn't expecting it. I wasn't planning for, on this. And what I said was, yes, but I don't think it's that easy. To which she replied, well, it can be. If you are interested, it can be. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also don't need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to Indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash thisislove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. After Danny Stewart found a baby in the 14th Street ACE subway station, and a judge asked him, out of the blue, 
if he was interested in adopting that baby. He says his head was spinning. And now he needed to do something. He needed to tell Pete. He called him from a payphone at a subway station. Here's Pete. I I was done for the rest of the day. I could not work anymore after hearing that. I took the rest of the day off. I think I went to a coffee bar and just sort of ruminated about what he just told me. And then when we got home that night, we talked for the first time about it. And he told me the whole story of his appearance in court. And I think I said something like, well, how could you say yes without consulting me? And, you know, he, he said, I just felt like the right thing to do. I said, yeah, but, you know, do you know what the implications are? Like, we, like, you just said that you're going to be a parent and I'm your boyfriend. That means I'm going to be a parent. And I kept coming back to the fact that we didn't have resources, we didn't have money, we were in this small apartment, we had debt. What were we thinking? What was he thinking that we could possibly be parents? And Danny just kept saying to me over and over again, we'll make it work. We can make this work. One step at a time, fate is giving us a gift. Fate is giving us a child. And, and we, how can we say no to that? How can we refuse that? And um, I was still uncertain. I had, a, I had a lot of fears about this. I had a lot of concerns about whether we could be good parents. You know, we had never discussed having kids or being parents. Um, and so I didn't know what his parenting style would be. He didn't know what my parenting style would be. None of that we ever discussed. And this about a week later, he just came home from work and he said, I understand you may not be ready, but I'm going to go ahead and do this with or without you. And I just said, so you're choosing a baby over a relationship? And he said, no, I'd really love for you to do this with me. I would not love nothing more than for you to do this with me, but I understand you may not be there yet. And I said something really snarky like, you know, good luck being a single parent in New York City. He was overwhelmed. He wanted to take a walk, to get some air, and try to understand what it all meant. And when I came back, there was Danny, still in the bedroom, sitting on the edge of the bed, waiting to pick up where we left off. Basically said, look, they are setting up a visit with the baby. I would really love for you to come with me. Will you just come with me to visit the baby? And I said, yes, I'll, I'll go with you. I said, but I'm not committing to anything, but I will go with you. And um, we did about a couple of nights later, right? And either the next night or yes. the night after that. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. The baby's on the ground in like a bouncy seat. And he's just staring up at us. Big, huge, brown eyes. Unblinking. Barely yes. blinking. Yeah. Like hardly not blinking, just sort of soaking, taking it all in. And, uh, you know, Danny looks at him and he says, do you remember me? And the uh, we took a couple pictures and the flash went off. And that sort of caught the attention of the caseworker. So she turned around and she saw the flash go off. And she said to Danny, do you want to hold him? So, of course, Danny was like really eager to hold him. And, and she took him out of the seat and put him in Danny's arms. And it was just the most beautiful sight to see the two of them connecting again, you know, because Denny didn't really hold him or pick him up or touch him on the night that they found each other. So 
uh, it was just really a powerful moment to see them together. And so I took another picture, of course. Uh, we had a Polaroid camera with us. Um, and then Dan after I took that picture, Danny said, um, your turn. And he held the baby out to me. And I just reflexively put my arms out to take the baby. And he he just, oh my gosh, the feeling was just pure love at that moment. And the baby just wrapped his hand around my finger and just squeezed. And I just sort of knew in that moment, this is our son. A few days later, Pete and Danny had a court date where they were asked to state their intentions of their hope to adopt the baby. The caseworker told them that once this took place, the process of actually adopting the baby and taking him home would be anywhere from six to nine months. There were home studies to conduct and mandatory parenting classes to take, legal forms to be filled out. They understood and were ready to begin the process. When they got to court, the same judge who had asked Danny if he would be willing to adopt the baby was once again presiding. You know, she was um, all smiles with us. Um, after the, you know, the attorneys and the caseworker filled her in and everything that was going on, she turned to us and she said something like, gentlemen, I'm, I'm really pleased that you're here. Um, I'm guessing that you're here to tell me something. And I said, and I think we both said, yeah, we, we would like to adopt this baby. And she smiled and she, you know, looked down at her calendar. This was on Wednesday, December 20th. Uh, 2000. And she looks down at her calendar and she looks back up at us and she says, how would you like him for a holiday visit? And at that moment, you know, the only holiday we knew that was immediate was Christmas. (laughs) So (laughs) it was like, what is she saying? Like, once again, like she shocked Danny the first time when she asked him if he'd be interested in adopting. And now she shocked both of us by saying, how would you like a baby to come visit you for Christmas? You know, your, your future son, basically. And so we just sort of nodded. I don't even think words came out of our mouth. We were just like, mm, okay. I mean, trying to process it. And she said, fantastic. And then she started issuing uh, directives to the baby's representatives to have him ready um, Friday morning, December 22nd, for us to pick up from the foster care agency and to take him home. Yeah, so there goes the notion of having six to nine months to prepare, and we had 48 hours. Um, So just another thing of like, uh, this is the story and the situation and the circumstance just happening unlike anyone is expecting. Um, As we show up there in the foster care agency, I mean, there was definitely Mm -hmm. an excitement in the air. Um, We were excited. Um, The workers, the nurse that was there was excited. And when the baby arrived, I really couldn't believe it was happening. Um, And so I, there was... You you teared up. And you you, you rarely tear up. Yeah, I was like... like, Very emotional. It was like, yeah, I was like, I'm even speechless now, you know, re- trying to recall the experience, but it was just an overwhelming feeling of, of joy and just utter happiness that this little yeah. bundle is, is now coming home with us. We actually thought about taking him home in a taxi, but um, we decided because they had found each other on the subway that we were going to 
take the subway home. So we rode the subway home and there were some flurries in the air um, that that day. I remember very specifically um, thinking, wow, this is this is pretty neat. Like I remember them falling on our faces and on the baby's face and because we're carrying him. We don't have a stroller yet. We, we're just carrying him through the streets to the subway station and then to our apartment. We're home with him the first night and he's very, um, very stiff. Like he's got his arms wrapped around his chest, his legs scrunched up, almost like in, like scrunching up into fetal position. So it's very guarded, very guarded position. So we knew right away that he was probably neglected in the home that he was in, not getting affection, not getting the love that he needed. So the, f- no, yeah. He was not being picked up and cared for. Right. So the first thing we did that weekend, Christmas weekend, was we held him as as much as we could, um, almost all the time. And if we weren't holding him, because um, we went out to my parents' house for Christmas Eve and we stayed there that night, we made sure that somebody else was holding him, that he was getting touch. He was getting the, the sensation of touch that he probably wasn't getting. Danny and Pete were supposed to return the baby back to the foster home a day later. But that morning, Danny went to work, and Pete realized he wanted the baby to stay with them. And then the caseworker called to say it was time to bring the baby back. And then I told her, you know, you saw the condition he was in. I said, he's doing so well right now. I know that you're supposed to have the best interests of the baby in mind right now. If there's any way possible he can stay with us, please. And she said, I don't think it's possible, um, but let me see. She calls the next, the following day after that. So this is like maybe two or three days after Christmas. And I pick up the phone and she says, I got some good news for you. The baby could stay. They named him Kevin. He was four months old. Danny had just started a new job and hadn't expected to become a parent so soon. He couldn't take time off. Pete was able to take several weeks of parental leave to be with Kevin full-time. It was all new. They needed everything for a baby. And their parents and friends transformed their apartment overnight. How long had you been together at this point in, in your relationship? Uh, we had been together three and a half years. So not, you know, two months. Um, uh, you, you knew each other pretty well by this point. Oh, yeah. What was it like for both of you? And this was unexpected. I mean, maybe you would have had kids down the road, but it, this was a speeded up track um, that you both were put on. What was it like for you not having had that real conversation before about becoming parents together to see each other becoming a father. Oh, I, I I loved watching Danny be a dad to Kevin. It was just the most beautiful thing. And believe it or not, even though we had never had any discussions about becoming parents, and we probably we thought we probably never would become parents, our parenting styles were pretty aligned. Um, there there wasn't too much that we disagreed on in, in parenting Kevin and raising Kevin. Of course, there's always little things here and there, but those are just sort of, you know, little annoyance things, not like major disagreements about how to raise our son. Um, yeah, I I used to love watching 
I was I used to just sit sometimes and just watch Danny, you know, either give Kevin a bath or read to him. If I wasn't reading to him, um, I enjoyed just sort of watching the two of them bond together. Because, you know, in those early days, I had all day to bond with Kevin. So, um, you know, seeing Danny do that was really, really um, a treat for me. And I would say the same thing. I mean, watching Pete, um, particularly like if Kevin had fallen asleep while mm -hmm. um, laying on Pete, mm -hmm. I just thought that was just the most um, cherished moments to see that. <laughs> Another really, I, I guess, interesting or funny time is like Pete really loved uh, doing the care, the, the particular care. <laughs> it's not the most um, glamorous, like cl clipping fingernails and toenails, but watching him take this care um, in a way was just also, I mean, in a funny but beautiful way um, of seeing that him being a parent to Kevin. Um, and also, I mean, just when we were would be able to um, play with Kevin and him to giggle, to me, that just went straight through my heart. Whichever one of us that was able to get him to, to giggle and to laugh and to um, be silly, I mean, he really, really enjoyed that. So yeah. that um, was a lot of fun. Pete, tell me about the book you made for Kevin when he was little. Sure. So we decided very early on that we did not want Kevin to learn about his origins and his story from anybody else but us first. You know, the worst case scenario would be for us to come home to pick up Kevin and, and he would say, oh, my friend so-and-so overheard his mom say that I was found, you know, or uh, in, a, in a train station. So we decided that the best way to introduce him to his story was through a children's picture book because we read to him every night. That was our ritual. So I decided to find some clip art online um, and just put together um, a story, color printouts, spray glued together and folded. And it was basically, the, the, the we called it The Boy from New York City. And it tells the story of Danny getting on these trains and the trains come to life when the A train is Andy, the express train, and the C train is Clara, the C, local C train. And they, they just sort of take Danny downtown, and then Danny gets off, and he finds this bundle on the ground. And basically, it's exactly the story of how we became a family, from the discovery, the, the night Danny and Kevin found each other, to um, him coming home a couple days before Christmas. So we would read him this story um, every night, starting at around, I don't know, four or five years old, maybe. And it used all of our real names, and we never told him straight out, this is your story, this is about us. We wanted him to sort of come to that uh, awareness on his own. So it was about a year later. He brings the book into the living room, you know, uh, before bed. Pat sits down on the sofa and pats both sides, meaning I want you both to sit on either side of me. So Danny and I go and he's got the book on his lap and he's got this different kind of energy to him this particular night. And we start reading the book. And by now, he sort of knows the words, so he's mouthing the words as we're reading it because he's got it memorized. And we get to the end, and he closes the last page, and he gets quiet for a couple seconds. And he looks up at us, and he says, is this about me? 
And we just nodded and said, yes, Kevin, this is your story. And he got quiet again. And of course, we're a little apprehensive, like, how is he going to take this? You know, and he just flipped it over really quickly to the cover again and said, let's read it again. And then he owned the story after that. Kevin took the book to school for show and tell. His teacher called Pete and said it was amazing. She had had no idea. Kevin, Pete, and Danny continued living in Manhattan. Pete says Kevin loved to be outside as much as possible, so they spent a lot of time in parks around the city. He played Little League and swam as much as he could. And then, on June 24, 2011, New York State legalized same-sex marriage. Kevin, who is 10 years old, asked Pete and Danny if they were going to get married. And he said to me, because he had seen at this point judges marrying people on TV left and right. It was all on the, on the news, and we had some friends who had gotten married. He said, um, don't judges marry people. And I kind of knew exactly where he was going with this. And I said, I asked him, I said, do you want to meet the judge who finalized your adoption? He says, yeah, I'd like to meet her. And so he trots off to enter this, you know, go, go into the school building. And I immediately go right home after that. And I look up Manhattan Family Court online, their website, and I find this general email just to, you know, catch all email for them. And I write this email explaining who we are, who the judge was that performed our son's adoption 10 years ago, and asking if there's a way that we can get a message to her and if she would be interested in performing our uh, marriage, officiating our marriage. And it took like two hours or less, and someone got back to me uh, via email and said she would be delighted. Before the ceremony, Pete and Danny and the judge sat down to make a plan. And during that conversation, she told them some things she hadn't told them before. She talked about why she chose Danny. She said, I, all children need a connection to somebody. And the only person that that baby at that time was connected to was Danny. And I just felt there was a bond there and that there was a strong connection. And I had a hunch and I just asked him. So, I mean, talk about changing the trajectory of three people's lives on a hunch. It's it's quite astonishing. So we set a date and we picked July 13th, you know, our our anniversary of the day we met um, 15 years earlier in 1997. And we got married with Kevin next to us as both of our uh, as best man for both of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Um, when we first arrived, you know, when we... Kevin was really excited to meet her. And then when we got to the courthouse and we got up to the floor that her office was on, you could tell Kevin was a little nervous. Um, here he was going to be meeting this woman that he read about so much in this little, you know, makeshift picture book. Um, almost like a fairy godmother coming to life right before his very eyes. Um, someone in a book that is a real person. When they first saw each other, Kevin uh, put out his hand to shake her hand, and uh, she just broke the ice and said, can I give you a hug? And so they hugged, and Danny and I just watched them hug for a little bit, and my parents were there, and a couple of close friends were with us, and we all just watched the two of them hug. That was sort of a ceremony uh, before the ceremony. What a thing, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, for sure. <laughs> it felt 
like this was another piece in our story that it was meant to be exactly this way. Today, Kevin is 20, a junior in college studying math and computer science. He runs marathons and plays ultimate frisbee. You know, in so many ways, Kevin is personality, almost the same personality, the same kid he was the day we picked him up. You know what I mean by that, Danny, right? Sure, he's, yeah. He's been um, just an observer from the very beginning. He still observes. He'd rather observe than be observed. He'd rather figure things out on his own mm-hmm. than, than be shown how to do something. Not that he won't come and seek help if he needs help in trying to figure something out, but he will try to figure out how to do something on his own first. He has a really acute sense of humor mm-hmm. with almost impeccable timing. He can crack me up with with just one word. What is it like for you? I had imagined this is a very, in some ways, kind of bittersweet time to see to see him growing up, to see him starting his adult life and kind of his dads are are there uh, watching him go. And, you uh-huh. know, that must be a, a very hard time, kind of. A, a wonderful time and a hard time. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I, and I, it's just like he's exactly doing yeah. and where he needs to be and doing and, you know, developing his own independence and figuring things out and navigating the world. And as a parent, I mean, this is where we are, where we're having to let go um, and yeah. and seeing him become his own person. And and that is a beautiful thing. You know, I think in parenting, that is just part of it. You're always having to let go so that they can become the person they're meant to be. Do you ever go back to that subway station? All, all the time. All the time. I mean, it's in our neighborhood, so I were, were there every time, um, very frequently, and it's always, I mean, I've always think, and I go immediately back to that day every time I go through that station, um, through that exit at 15th Street. I mm-hmm. immediately brought back to that night, August 28, 2000. That's, that's where it all began. That's where we found each other, and that's where the moment... Um, we became a family. Pete and Danny say they now just refer to the station as Kevin's Corner. Before Kevin went off to college, Pete and Danny wrote him a letter. They wrote, No matter where you are or who you become, we love you, unconditionally. And we can't wait to see how you'll make the world a better place. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our producer. Engineering by Russ Henry. Audio mix by Johnny Vincevans, Michael Raphael, and Rob Byers of Final Final V2. Pete Mercurio's children's book is Our Subway Baby, the true story of how one baby found his home. This is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, We're a proud member of Radiotopia from P.
PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Socks brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.